0: plushcare.com slash weight loss but if you think about the fact that china contributed 28 percent of gdp growth worldwide which is more than twice the share of the u.s you know I, i don't think that's going to continue and so within this this power vacuum that's going to take place you'll see haves and have nots and you'll see regional realignment and again, I just don't think no matter who is control of, of the White House, be it Democrat or Republican, I don't see a lot of political will to put boots on the ground and spend continued resources on these spots without a very clear pathway out and a benefit to the U.S.
1: Welcome to the Capitol Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn.
0: Hello and welcome to the Capital Club podcast. Today, We're going to switch it up a little bit. I am going to get outside my comfort zone. Uh, This is something that we've been toying around with for a little bit, speaking internally about doing these solo episodes. I've frankly have been hesitant for a whole host of reasons, but it's important to try new things. So we're going to give it a whirl here. And if you're listening to this episode, it's most likely that you'll be receiving a newsletter, which is coming out shortly, or maybe you're seeing the link uh, at the end of it, but essentially I've been doing some thinking, a lot of reading on these geopolitical macro financial trends that we're seeing play out over the last call it 10, 20 years. And I've labeled them as the killer D's. So that would be decoupling, deglobalization, deindustrialization and depopulation and you know, I'll say that obviously we are a real estate firm. We are focused on real estate investments. That is our industry. But it's important, I think, to have a greater perspective. And unfortunately, a lot of real estate investors are hyper local orientated. And that could be good. And there need to be people in your organization that, that are so. But I feel like our listeners in our audience. And and when I have conversations with high net worth individuals and and family offices and wealth management firms, we talk about our deals and they want to know the investment thesis and, and they want to hear about markets. But increasingly, they want to hear our thoughts or the conversation turns to a broader topic of, you know, how does what's happening in China impact US domestic real estate? What does it mean that China is threatening Taiwan? What are these leftist political leanings that are happening to South America? What does that ultimately mean for the U.S.? What is the war in Ukraine and, and Europe's energy crisis? What does that mean for us, right? So I think it's important to highlight these things and, and to get into them a little bit deeper. And we certainly don't have all the answers, but hopefully this conversation, some of the remarks that you'll hear here will, will spur your own investigation and just kind of alert you to some of the, the larger strokes of, of history that we think are, are going on right now. And, and I'll take this opportunity to mention that you can sign up for the newsletter, you go to the website ExcelsiorGP.com, you'll receive our, our monthly newsletter and also the rest of the content we're putting together. So some of the things that I'm going to talk about here, I'll get more granular on the newsletter. So, so let's get into it. These, these killer D's, my colleagues and my wife, frankly, can, can consider me a bit of a bear when it comes to the arc of history. But I think it's more of an idea that these are cycles, right? These, these larger movements that take place, they come and they go. And we enter into phases of time that we feel like are going to last forever. But if you look back, they never do. And so, I'm going to start this conversation by pointing to these these larger structures, these geopolitical, multinational organizations that were put up after World War II in Bretton Woods. So I'm talking about the United Nations, NATO, the World Bank, IMF, etc. And all of these, you know, large organizations were really contingent on the US safeguarding everybody else, right? The, the only way that global trade was going to grow was as if the United States was going to act as the world's police officer and, and make sure that everyone was, you know, for the most part, doing what they said they were going to be doing. And that worked, right? I mean, these multinational organizations created massive amounts of wealth. For people in the U.S. and and around the world, we did safeguard, for the most part, peace. There were obviously regional flare-ups and idiosyncratic armed conflicts, but there was nothing on a global scale that took place. And what you've seen is, over the last 20 years in particular, you know, the U.S. has gone into Southeast Asia. Well, that was before, so let's call it 50 years. Southeast Asia, the Middle East, Afghanistan, to a lesser extent, South America, and with very limited military success. We haven't really won anything on the battlefield in a long time at scale. And historically, large international powers have been reticent to enter into these conflicts with their own soldiers. Typically, if you look back at what the Colonial powers did the Brits the French etc the Spanish they used proxies right they they were very hesitant to put full force on the ground for a whole host of obvious reasons and the US has done that and with very limited success we spent massive amounts of time and money and resources in these places with no real results frankly Afghanistan is a mess and it's reverting to Taliban rule, and things are not going well there i've read I listened to the news the other day that women are no longer allowed to go to gyms or parks that doesn 't seem like we 've accomplished much there. The Middle East is still a mess, no line of sight to resolution, and so we're we're clearly entering to a place where the u s is no longer going to be the world's police officer. We obviously will be supportive of some global initiatives. But frankly, you know, given the actors on the world stage today, where you're seeing play out in Russia, China, and Iran, and other places, nobody really cares. These dictators and, and tyrants do not care what the UN has to say. They do not fear the United Nations. We'll see about NATO, but... This was really spurred by Ian Bremmer, who I had the opportunity to listen to at a YPO event in New York City two weeks ago, talk about these decouplings that he's been seeing. And he is the, people don't know who he is. He's a a leader of the global political risk research world with a consulting firm called Eurasia Group. And he put out this incredible speech that I thought was very insightful called Three Decouplings. And it's this pivot from this Kind of multipolar, interoperable global order, which I referenced before, into a much more multipolar, disaggregated world, where you know a few large actors will have some regional influence, and it's all being kind of brought about. People often look at Brexit as an early sign of this decoupling. The Great Recession, two thousand eight, where people felt like. You know, the U.S. financial global dominance was put into question.
1: Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Take the next step by joining the Capital Club, an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals organized by Excelsior Capital. You'll gain access to exclusive alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, private events, and more. Visit excelsiorgp.com slash Capital Club Podcast for more information and to sign up today.
0: But if you look at these kind of three in particular, China and the US, Russia from the West, and then, you know, the developing, what I'll call the developing South from the North, these are all taking place in real time. And so I just thought it'd be worth talking about a little bit. So... As we get into it, you know china and the u s are clearly on a trajectory where we are no longer going to be you know helpful to each other long term that China' is now entering into this idea of dual circulation, so fortress china they're trying to stand up their own economy, their own infrastructure, and not be reliant on the u s meanwhile the u s is Likewise making similar motions with our reshoring of manufacturing and chip making and, and software development. And these are they're really trying to, you know, disentangle each other because they see this this long-term conflict on the horizon centered around Taiwan in particular, you know, with Xi solidifying his rule for a third term, which is unprecedented in modern Chinese history, they've really gone from this economic financial powerhouse to a much more regionally oriented, politically focused regime intent on security for the most part. So growth is no longer the leading factor for them. And I think you'll see this playing out where there'll be a realignment there between China, Australia, ourselves to counterbalance this this Chinese strength. And she has a lot on his hands between a real estate bubble imploding, economic malaise, and the zero COVID policy, which has been horrific for their economy and market. Another one I'll touch on is Russia and the West. Obviously, we've seen what's been playing out with Ukraine recently. That is very much a finger in the eye of NATO. You know, for the last hundred years, Ukraine has acted as a buffer between the West, Western Europe and Russia. And that geographic distance has allowed them to survive multiple incursions by the French and the Germans, etc. And so when, you know, the Ukrainians had their Orange Revolution and they were becoming closer with the EU, made signals they were going to join NATO. Putin saw that as an existential threat to Russia's independence. And so part of the rationale in his mind that was antagonistic for him. And so you've seen this reaction. And it's just a very much a complete rejection of any type of union with europe the eu or some of these larger organizations they become a pariah russia now has completely realigned itself with china and iran as this what we would have referred to in the 90s as this you know axis of evil amongst these three dictators that are rejecting any kind of relationship with the west and you know again the the u.s and, and other allies have responded with financial and economic penalties. And, and we'll see how that plays out. But for the time being, as we're recording this now, it's not ended well for, for Russia. They've lost, they already had horrific demographics in terms of their aging population. They don't have a diverse economy. And it's really dependent on energy. And a lot of the energy is dependent on China buying it. And so I don't see it going the other way. My bigger concern is there's no real off-ramp for Putin. You know, these dictators purposefully make sure that they don't have any rivals or anybody with any talent around them because they're threats to power. And so what does that look like if Putin, if there's a coup, if Russians lose faith in his leadership abilities as they face, you know, continued losses on the battlefield? And the third one uh, I'll touch on is just this, concept of what i'll call kind of the global south and developing countries these are places where you know they were very much dependent on u.s security protocols talking about south asia africa the middle east and some other areas you know they don't have typically access to energy natural resources first world industry and they don't have diversified economies so Considering that energy and food security is going to be a real problem for them, especially in in Africa and the Middle East, where you know frankly the u n does not have the ability to maintain peace across all these areas. they just don't have the capacity, and you know there's only so many times you can go to the i m f or the World Bank now that China' is no longer a lender of last resort that they can go there and just keep taking out this debt. I think you're going to see over the next few years, massive blow-ups and debt restructurings in these countries. And so that I think ultimately there's, now that we are energy secure as a country, I just don't see the political will to go and spend blood and treasure in these places to maintain them if there's no direct benefit for us. If so much of our economy is now oriented towards our domestic consumers, There will be pain for us, but I just don't see that going the other way. And that's why I believe you'll see massive capital flight from these areas. You've already seen it play out in South America, where Venezuela, Chile, Argentina, where Brazil, you know, politics is going way to the left. Inflation is rampant. Currency devaluation is occurring very quickly. You'll see capital flee those areas and you'll see people flee them as well. I think if you have the means to leave those countries, you will. And the U.S. is the most logical destination for both your financial capital and your human capital. And so I think are going to have to come up with some type of immigration policy that makes sense where we can, you know, have it be manageable from our perspective, but also we can kind of take in some of this we're going to want some of this human capital. that just helps our demographics. And it's something the U.S. has done. Every 25, 50 years, we oscillate between being insular and then being open. You know, Given where the world's going, I think we can have the ability to capture some really good talent and some, some great capital for some of these places, which will be accretive to us. But if you think about the fact that China contributed 28% of GDP growth worldwide, which is more than twice the share of the U.S., you know, I, I don't think that's going to continue. And so within this, this power vacuum that's going to take place, you'll see haves and have nots, and you'll see regional realignment. And again, I just don't think no matter who is in control of the White House, be it Democrat or Republican, I don't see a lot of political will to put boots on the ground and spend continued resources on these spots without a very clear pathway out and a benefit to the U.S., So that will be me signing off. I know it's not the most positive topic in the world, but I do think these are going to be things you continue to see play out over the next 5, 10, 20 years, maybe. And so this will be a series. This was decoupling. We're going to talk about the others moving forward again. If you're interested, you can sign up to the newsletter where there'll be a little bit more in depth and then I'm going to continue to try to do some of these shorter solo episodes. So I hope you enjoyed it. If you have, please leave us a rating, comments, be they be think positive or negative. I'm always looking for good feedback. And you know, I will say the silver lining here is I think most of these themes, you know, the United States, be it hard assets, be it financial assets, is in a very good position to not just weather this storm, but to benefit from it. And so I would continue to stay positive domestically, but fairish internationally. And so again, if you enjoyed it, please leave us a comment, some ratings, and I'll be back shortly with some of the other themes that I see playing out. Thank you.
1: Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review and stay tuned for our next episode coming soon.